Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35-plus years means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from desktop to the data center. Check them out at vlcm.com. And welcome to the Cyber 24 podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. I'm Marty Carpenter of 24-9, and I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. This week, we're taking a look at four stories you might have missed over the past couple of weeks while Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp were down, for example. New format for us. We're going to try something different here and hit four topics with an expert. Mike Hussey, the Utah Department of Technology Services is our guest. Here we go. Topic number one. All right, Mike Hussey, thanks so much for taking some time with us this week. Uh, We are constantly innovating on Cyber 24. And as we start season eight, well, we're, you know, second episode of season eight at this point. But as we essentially start off a new season, uh, I wanted to try something new, which is let's cover a bunch of news all at once. Let's do four quick hits and get your quick take on some things going on in the world of cybersecurity so we can you know, touch on a lot of good stuff that's going on. Maybe things that you missed while Facebook was down last week. There you uh, go. <laughs> maybe that's something you missed. Uh, all right, let's jump right into it. Our first story then, Japan took a significant step in combating nation states known as cyber bad actors. According to the Japan Times, a, a newspaper I know you have delivered to your front porch. Uh, every day. Every yeah. day. Every day. You start every day starts with the Japan Times. Uh, they report, uh, quote, the government on Monday adopted a draft cybersecurity strategy strategy for the next three years, naming China, Russia, and North Korea as cyber attack threats for the first time. Japanese officials believe, quote, the situation in cyberspace contains the risk of rapidly developing into a critical situation and that the three states are suspected of being involved in hostile cyber activities. So uh, we'll start with a, yeah, of course they are. And then my question to you, Mike, is (laughs) what is the threat that these nations actually pose to Japan or to the United States? Well, this is great. I'm I'm really excited to see Japan make a move like this. I I know that, you know, at the state, we're always worried about protecting systems. And so right off the bat, we geoblock those uh, bad countries uh, so they can't even talk to us sometimes. Why would you be in Russia trying to talk to our public safety system? So there's a lot of geoblocking that goes on. Of course, they're really good at, at covering their tracks and look like they're vectoring in from another country. But Still, you know, you do what you can. In any case, uh, those states, uh, you certainly are the ones that we see the preponderance of surveillance traffic coming from those nation states and uh, targeting our systems, uh, especially during election times, especially during when we move to a a remote workforce here at the state because of of the pandemic, you could see the uptick from those very countries. As a matter of fact, um, I've read some of them, uh, China, for instance, they have state-sponsored hacking and terrorism threats coming from those from those countries and so how do you kind of position what you do in the united states uh to thwart what they're doing uh russia they have a a town in russia where they actually are paid hackers that's actually a profession in some of these towns I, i read about one city in russia that that's the that's most of the livelihoods of, of most of the individuals there is learning how to hack and hacking and monetizing those hacking efforts. And so, and it, and, and why not? I mean, it's, it, it's not against the law. You're doing things that um, are providing for your family in a way. 
And, and so it's a different perception. And so why not? Why, why not do what Japan did and say, hey, look, we're going to list you guys as, um, as threats that are critical threats against our infrastructure. We're trying to protect ourselves. And so I really kind of am, am impressed that Japan made this move. And I think maybe other states should follow suit uh, just to make sure that, that we're banding together and we, we are defending ourselves against what Japan is doing or like what Japan is doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, reports show that Japan will accelerate cooperation in the field with its partners in what it calls the Quad Framework. That's the United States, Australia, and uh-huh. India, as well as Japan. Uh, and in addition to that group, uh, other nations in the uh, Southeastern Asian Nations Association uh, that are all working toward promoting a, an open Indo-Pacific region, uh, according to this reporting. So I, I guess when you start to say the U.S., Japan, Australia, India, other Southeast Asian uh, countries, how beneficial is it to American interests, Mike, to work with other countries to combat nation states like Russia, China, North Korea? And and how do relationships like those help us in those sort of infamous situations where you have an Edward Snowden or a Julian Assange? The cooperation has got to be better, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's a lever that you need is, is that cooperation or maybe um, those extradition agreements between some of those, uh, those other countries uh, where you might have it like an Edward Snowden that hides out in Russia for a while. And, and the, the, the United States has no recourse with, with trying to rein him in and, and him continually that threat of what data he might have that he might release. Um, certainly everybody's on their heels and you don't have any recourse. There's no options left between the United States and Russia to, to kind of bring Edward Snowden to justice. And so, yeah, I think having those, that cooperation among these other countries certainly would, uh, maybe change the landscape a little bit for the bad actors, but I have a feeling that that we won't have this kind of an agreement with, with Russia anytime soon or with China or North Korea anytime soon. So, so maybe there are places in the world, little corners that people can hide out. But I think if we can get a banding together of countries like what Japan is considering in the the quad, uh, you know, they, I think that's a great move, a great first step to kind of minimize the corners that people can hide in throughout the world so that so there are extradition uh, arrangements and there are there's uh, recourse I mean how many how many times have you heard about shipping fraudulent shipping things going on where you have a mule in the United States shipping things to somewhere in Africa I there, it happens all the time and people are caught because they think they're just helping a friend out and in fact they're a mule and they're there there's fraudulent credit charges going to a place that that we don't have uh, any sort of relationship. And so uh, in the end, Americans are the one left holding the bag on, on how to protect themselves. So it's really an, an interesting approach and I'm really excited that Japan's taking this step. All right, let's look at topic number two. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Justice Department plans to use powers under the False Claims Act a law that targets people and organizations that defraud the U.S. government to prosecute contractors that fail to disclose cybersecurity breaches. So legislation is already underway to kind of put this in motion, but the Department of Justice is not waiting around for Congress. They are going to go ahead and use the big stick here and go after contractors who don't 
uh, don't don't report things that are that are uh, you know cyber incidents and breaches. So, Mike, you've worked in state government and with a number of contractors in that role. Uh, why is it important that contractors, whether it's dealing with the state government or any type of municipality or government, uh, or it's or it's a company dealing with contractors, why is it essential that when something goes wrong, that that contractor fesses up quickly? Yeah, you know, because the state, I'm working for the state as long as I have, you know that the state can't do it all. You have to rely on contractors. Uh, I remember we had uh, the fast pass for driving an HOV lane that, that you could purchase the, the HOV. That was all done with a contractor. And there was an issue that was discovered that you could uh, traverse some of the data that that our, our contractor had. And, and you lose a lot of trust with your citizens if you don't uh, protect their data, no matter where it is. If it's in a in, in a contractor's possession, if it's in the state's possession, and so it, to recover from that trust or from that breach is very difficult. And so, yeah, I think you want to know about it up front. Hey, what's your track record? Do we have? Do you have a, a good track record of doing things? Or in the unfortunate circumstance where some data has has left their possession, what what have they done to mitigate that? And so you want to know, hey, if we're going to work with you, what have you done? And so, yeah, coming forward is actually a, it's a requirement by law. You, are, you have to not, notify anytime there's been a breach, and that generally happens through the attorney general's office where you're, where you're doing business. But you also, just to, to maintain that, that relationship so that you can continue to do great things. And yeah, yeah, we all know that things bad things can happen, but what did you do to recover from that? Did you, were you transparent about it? Did you say, hey, this is what we discovered, this is what we did to fix it? And then you start to get that business in other states because you, you were transparent about it. And so, yeah, I think that, that it, it is unfortunate, but I think, yeah, companies should come forward. It's better to find out going into it rather than on the back end and then you just cancel the contract. Are the incentive are the incentives without this setup, without the fear of punishment, uh, are the incentives currently set up so that a, a contractor would try to cover something up or not report because they don't want to lose a lucrative contract? <laughs> In other words, the DOJ is using a stick. Are there carrot options as well? No, that, that's a really good question, Marty, because there, there aren't a lot of carrots other than the opportunity to do business in other countries because or other states sorry uh, you might you might look at yeah how how did they handle this bad situation do, were they you know were they upfront did they come clean did they fix it and I think that's the carrot is being able to go to other states with their business and show hey this is what we did yeah we had this this misstep we we fixed all this but you know that was that was before now here's the new and improved to us and so i think that's the carrot that they will continue to be able to do business if they didn't come clean uh, then that's the stick that hey they're done doing business not just in in our state but probably in any state so i think it's it's that the carrot is to to come clean. Um, I think that the um, the DOJ is probably good to do what they're doing with this False Claims Act, but I, I think it's certainly important to kind of circle back and make sure that that the, all of our contractors have the right the right protections in place and that we we're doing things properly with them. Yeah, using the False Claims Act, by the way, the Justice Department obtained more than two point two billion dollars in settlements 
and judgments Ooh. in the 2020 fiscal year, according to the Wall Street Journal, uh, mainly through the healthcare sector. So Ooh, it has proven to be an effective tool in yeah. the past as well. Allowing your employees to bring their own devices is a lot like allowing them to bring a security time bomb into work. So how do you take the burden of onboarding so many new devices off your IT department without sacrificing security or policy enforcement? Look no further than Aruba ClearPass. ClearPass allows you to safely connect business and personal devices to your network in compliance with your security policies. It also allows you to access devices based on users' roles, device type, and cybersecurity posture. At Valcom, they're all about saving you time while still protecting your privacy. Dismantle your time bombs at vlcmtech.com clearpass. That's vlcmtech.com clearpass. The demand has never been greater for business owners and IT professionals to invest in intelligent security camera systems. At the intersection of physical security and cybersecurity, an increasing number of organizations struggle to take a proactive approach to surveillance. Verkata's all-in-one physical security platform makes this decision easy with features like plug-and-play installation, centralized management, secure remote access to cameras, and smart features and alerts. Smarter security starts with Verkata. Learn more at vlcmtech.com slash Verkata. That's vlcmtech.com slash V-E-R-K-A-D-A. All right, topic number three, ransomware is the most prominent cyber issue facing businesses today. According to the Wall Street Journal, the nation's top military cyber official said that that's not gonna change anytime soon. Asked whether we will face ransomware on a daily basis five years from now, Army General Paul Nakasone says, yes, quote, every single day. Mike, do you agree with the general's assessment? Uh. Every single day, five years from now, is that's pretty regular uh, incident of uh, instance of, um, of ransomware. I think he might be right. I don't think that we've done enough uh, in our businesses and our personal cyber hygiene efforts to really thwart at the level that it's 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 escalating. I don't think we're on the same trajectory in what we're doing in businesses and in our personal lives to make sure it's thwarted. So he might be right uh, that down the road in five years, it might be an everyday occur- occurrence. Um, it might not be at the large scale. I mean, as we're improving our cyber hygiene going forward, businesses seem to be the first ones to learn how to do it right. Um, the the ransomware that ends up sometimes on a on a personal computer, yeah, you know, the hackers aren't going to get, and they're not going going to extort, you know, five million dollars. They may get fifty bucks, but you know, so where where will they focus their efforts? But in the unfortunate case that it lands on a, a personal computer, yeah, we'll see it, but it won't make it won't be newsworthy. So yeah, it could be that it that it occurs uh, daily, and we just don't know about it. But at the same time, we need to be on a better trajectory going forward, or we're not going to get ahead of this. Mm-hmm. I guess depending on how you kind of break down the definition and, and wordsmith it a little bit, you know, do we face ransomware as a threat every single day? 
Yeah, I would say currently we do that. Absolutely. Um, Is there uh, a victim somewhere in the country? Probably every single day. Yeah, sure. We have more than 365 victims of ransomware during the year. So to that extent, yes, there has been, uh, you know, ransomware as a threat every single day. Now, whether or not the military or the government will get hit uh, every single day, that's that's a whole other question. But uh, I wonder about this, Mike, because my my thought was, what is it that we can do about this? And it's one of those things where you hear you've got a massive issue, but with the simplest uh, prevention, right? Just be good about your passwords. Don't give out information. Don't give people access to things that you're not supposed to. And I wonder, uh, will technology get to a point as this becomes more of an issue and becomes a priority for, you know, whether it's software companies, hardware companies, Apple, Google, whoever, uh, that you're going to put more protections into place that are just based on biometrics, for example, right? Like already with your phone, you probably, I know what kind of phone you have. You look at your phone and it opens, right? Right. It measures your face and it's really hard to hack. Uh, And and so I wonder like, when is my iMac going to have the same type of thing on that camera so that I have to look at it and it recognizes my face in order to open things up. And that when I go to log into a website, even on a desktop or a laptop, it's looking at that. I know a lot of times it's, it's a fingerprint right now, but that's got to be some some step that will ultimately be forced by the market uh, that, that will be in place that should help us a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, the, the, the market is bringing things to bear to help us protect ourselves. And you might look at that, you know, you mentioned uh, your your phone. Oftentimes now, when you're logging into a website, you it will automatically store a strong password. That's a new a new thing with the, the iPhone, for instance. It'll store that on in your um, your your key store, which will allow you to unlock it just with uh, your your face. Uh, I think some of the challenges that at least states are facing is that a lot of the regulations aren't catching up to passwordless kinds of um, activities where, you know, for instance, there's a, a 1075 publication that regulates uh, tax data or FTI data. And that publication says, you know, you have to have a strong password. It has to be this, it has to be that. Very, very prescriptive on what it does. So I think the industry still needs to catch up to the passwordless things. Uh, and to see if they are uh, going to suffice with what the IRS says you have to have. But I think more and more, you're going to see people get used to that. For instance, I changed my phone and I forgot some of my passwords because I'm so used to logging in with my face. But I think as as this shifts and you say, hey, I'm going to log in now to, to uh, system XYZ with my face, uh, yeah, that might be a little easier and much more secure than than repeating a password that you you have here. You you have multiple places on the internet, and when it's compromised in that one place, then your login credentials are compromised everywhere. Mm-hmm. So this is a much better way to get uh, to protect ourselves and to help us with ransomware. And certainly, multi-factor authentication is going to be the norm. Uh, you know, I certainly have that set up on my Gmail account where when I'm logging in, it sends me a little message on my phone. So, hey, is this you? And I just hit yes. And then I log in. So multi-factor, uh, passwordless. Uh, there's a lot of things coming into this space that I think will protect us from ourselves that that may, in the end, help us kind of thwart the, the bad guys. But I, I still think that they're on a much steeper trajectory than we are. Let's finish up with something a little more fun. Mike, are you okay. on Twitch? I am not on Twitch. Are your I, kids I on to, Twitch? 
My kids are on Twitch. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, some some think that they can make it a career, uh, you know, on twitching some of the things that they play. And they say, oh, you know, so-and-so is making a million dollars a day and I, I'm going to do that tomorrow. And well, I, I keep telling them, don't drop out of school yet. You know, stay in school. Do, do the things that are important. And if you make a million bucks a day on Twitch, great. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it then. But um, Twitch has been a great platform. I, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun for my kids. And even some of them that, that Twitch a lot, I, I kind of go over there and I stand off to the side and watch. And it's kind of fun to watch the, the interactions and, and how many people they have watching them play some game. So it's, mm-hmm. it is kind of fun to watch. Which is officially Twitch Interactive. It's a video game streaming platform for those who don't know, and it's owned by Amazon. And they uh, announced this week or this past week that they suffered a data breach. Information leaked in the online chat forum 4chat. That's the number four, or 4chan. Four, the number four is C-H-A-N. 4chan users allegedly posted Twitch data, uh, said that they did so to hurt Twitch's business. The person claimed to have access to Twitch source code, internal security tools, and data about creator payouts, that according to the Wall Street Journal. Okay, so Mike, a couple of things on this. Uh, why is it problematic that they have source code as compared to anything else that they might have? And uh, why would that be more concerning for Amazon or Twitch uh, to have that be the situation? You know, and that that's a great question uh, because oftentimes there are open source communities uh, to put uh, code out there, but you have the entire internet reviewing your code. And oftentimes developers do that anyway, where you have a peer review your code to look for something. Hey, did I did I not code around some security issue or, or do I have a security issue in my code? And then having that, that peer review process internally or having it done on the internet with open source, that's great. But as soon as you get something like a Twitch, all of their source code out, Everybody's going to be diving into that source code, looking for a backdoor. It's like, hey, how do I hack someone's account, or how do I get reroute their payout to my account, or, or you know, the myriad of options, or how do I hack the system? Uh, when your source code's out there and it hasn't had that scrutinizing public process, there, there's a chance that there might be a backdoor left in your code, and having your code out there for everybody to see, it's can be embarrassing, actually. No, I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> well, s- source code being one problem, and I guess for, I don't know what the threat is potentially to users of Twitch at this point, but probably not a bad idea to start with, like we said on our last point, go change your password. Yeah, absolutely. Go change your password. That's certainly when, you're, when your code gets out, when that kind of source code gets out there, that's first thing you got to do. Yeah. Four quick hit topics, four topics with great insight from Mike Hussey. Thanks so much. As we wrap up this episode, I want to thank Mike Hussey for taking some time to be with us again this week. And I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. So whether you're a startup or you're an enterprise or anything in between, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out, vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology 
Services, the Kempsey Gardner Policy Institute at the University of Utah, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and of course, our friends at Secuvon. You can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook. Hit us up in either place. Let us know what you think of the pod, or if you have a topic you would like us to discuss on a future episode. You can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Stay safe online.